read from two different locations here today and and put a couple things together. Um, I think we'll start in Hebrews first. And this is where I'm going to end up with the message. Is going to be two verses in Hebrews. And then I'm going to use an example from the life of Ruth leading up to what I want to drive at in Hebrews 12. And the area that I want to try and be a help in tonight is that of bitterness. So I'm going to read two verses in Hebrews 12, and then I'm going to go read in Ruth chapter 1 as soon as I finish that. Verse 14, and the punctuation is important. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Then you notice the punctuation there. So there's a sub-thought coming in relation to what he just stated. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. He goes on with more thoughts from the principle 14, but I just want to look at that one. Now, Ruth chapter 1. And I just want to look at a couple of verses here. I might preach in a couple of weeks a message from chapter 1 that I did when we went through the book of Ruth. Um, a message about when life doesn't go as planned. Um, but I'll, I might do that in a few weeks. I'm, I'm not sure. But I, I wasn't settled on that tonight. And so anyhow, I just want to look at a couple of verses here. Look at verse number 19. So they too went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came to pass when they were gone to Bethlehem that all the city was moved about them. Uh, this is Ruth and Naomi in context here coming into Bethlehem. And the, the city was moved about them. And they said, is this Naomi? And she said unto them, call me not Naomi, call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. When then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me, and the Almighty hath afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem in the beginning of barley harvest. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, ask your message upon the uh, uh, tonight, and I pray that you bless your word. Lord, please help me to stay true to it. Help me not to waver from it. Lord, I pray that you would use it to strengthen us and to draw us closer to you. Lord, may we see your grace. May, may we see your goodness. Lord, may you work on hearts and meet the needs that are here. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who's truly never been converted, I pray for that conviction and that drawing that even this evening they repent and place their faith and the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you receive all the glory and honor, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There there's can be a danger with bitterness. 
We see different examples of it really throughout the Word of God. And, and I'm sure many of us have experienced people that suffer with bitterness. That root of bitterness beginning to take a hold and changing their disposition, their personality, their life. I want to try and be help in that area tonight. The devil is a master. And this is where all this starts. I want you to see this this evening. The devil is a master at getting you to believe the wrong view of God. He wants your perspective on God and on life distorted. If he can change that, if he can get you to a wrong view of God and who he is, that opens the door to the potential of bitterness coming in when you face trying circumstances. But in order for that to take place, there's some groundwork that needs to be, to be done to change how you view God. Think back to the Garden of Eden. He wanted Eve to believe that God was hiding something from her. What he was doing there was setting the groundwork to change what she knew to be true about God, as if God was withholding. He knew then it wasn't bitterness wasn't the route he was going there then, but it was another uh, sin uh, so that would lead to the fall. He had to somehow affect her view of God of what was true. The devil is great when you face difficult circumstances or even different temptations to try and open the door to change how you view God. We can think of it on the extreme today, just like with Eve. Those that are in the midst of sin and have no trouble with it. We have the the entire homosexual movement in our nation right now with the majority of those actually believing God is okay with it when he's not. When it's still wicked, sinful, and vile... But something came in and changed how they viewed God. Again, the devil does this even on a grand scale on the earth. So people do not see God in truth. I mean, there's a significant portion of the world's population that believes in pantheism, that that God is in all of creation. He's in the trees. He's he's in the water. Just complete nonsense. Instead of one true God creator, believing God is in all this. Again, because how you view God will affect how you serve God. He has many believing in something called polytheism, which is the belief that there are many gods. There's not just one God. There's many gods. A distorted view of truth. Even for us, within our life, those of us who know truth, they've even placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the devil likes to come and somehow distort our view of God to something that isn't true. Because, again, that will affect how you serve God. In our text in the book of Ruth, Naomi has come to a wrong view of God. She's wrong. Circumstances can cause this to take place. Where you base your view of God on circumstances on life and not truth. 
She has the wrong perspective. Again, the devil commonly uses trials and difficulties in life to distort and cause doubt about God. I mean, think of her life. It was almost what I preached on here this evening. She marries Elimelech. I mean, think when they got married there in Bethlehem. Such high hopes and such excitement. I mean, all these years ahead of them. Just like any new couple getting married. But again, life did not go as planned for them. A famine hits. A famine hits. Bethlehem, the house of bread, now has very little food. Her husband makes a decision, and as far as we can tell here in Ruth chapter 1, without prayer to leave Israel. He takes his family and goes to Moab. Naomi now, this young wife, finds herself living in a in, in a strange land far away from her home. She is now the stranger. A place she doesn't know. A place where the truth is, where they chose to dwell. Many who live there will not like her at all, just because of who she is. Then life gets much, much more difficult than they ever imagined. Her husband dies suddenly and unexpectedly. Tragedy hits. This is not the life she imagined. This was, a, this was a child of God. They worshiped God. They served. And they're trying to do what's right. A famine hits. They didn't count on that. They head out. She's living in Moab. Uh, that would be so difficult. Such a hard life to live. And now her husband dies. Two boys. She's raising now in a strange land. Her sons then marry women from Moab. That would have produced very mixed emotions as well. Life's not going to get any easier for her. The next ten years, they're still in Moab. There are no grandchildren, which would have been a difficulty. That would have been a trial. No children. And then, both of her two sons die as well. Her husband is gone. Her two sons are gone. She's still in Moab. This is not what she planned. These trials, as we're going to see, began to affect her view of God, and bitterness was at the door. With all the tragedy she faced, the difficult circumstances since marriage, her mind began to twist her view of God, her view of God's sovereignty. She actually started believing, as we're going to see, God was against her. It was so far from the truth. She blamed God. There's great danger there. You open the door for bitterness to come in at that point. Naomi makes the decision to return back to Bethlehem. 
We didn't read the verses, but they're very sweet. The key verse that I think of the whole book is Ruth chapter 1 and verse 16, where, where Ruth makes the commitment to stay with uh, Naomi. She tells her, daughter, just stay here. I'm heading back. And, and, and of course, Naomi says, that's, or uh, Orpah stays back, and Ruth says, no, I am going with you. Uh, thy God shall be my God. Thy people, my people. That's verse 16. And so what we read was when they arrived in Bethlehem. So I want to look at this tonight and tie that in with what we see in Hebrews 12 and look at just one angle of this and that of bitterness. So first off, I want to look at the arrival of Naomi in the town of Bethlehem. Many years have passed. She returns. The journey itself would have wore them out. It's at least a seven to ten day journey from where they were to get into Bethlehem. It's about 65 miles, but you have to pass through two mountainous areas to get back into Bethlehem. They would be going up and down. And remember, this is just Naomi and Ruth. No doubt taking just as much as they possibly could, which would not have been very much. Heading back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem, especially at this time, was a beautiful little town. It would have walls and gates, small town. The population at this time, by the way, is thought to have been just right around 1,000. Nothing like it is today. When the church sent me to Israel back in the winter in January, we went to Bethlehem. That, that's the one thing I could have ended up doing without seeing. It was just, uh, just not what I expected at all seeing Bethlehem. But at this time, it's a small town of about a thousand. I mean, the average temperature in the summer is like today, 73 degrees. In the winter, 57. Rough. Rough. Yes, God has called me there as a missionary. I will be leaving around October 15th. He's called me there till about May 15th. <laughs> So they come into her hometown. Everyone is surprised to see her. Her story begins to spread. News spreads. This is Naomi. Naomi's back. I mean, we're talking much more than 10 years since they've seen or heard from Naomi and her family. They see her husband is not there, Elimelech, and, and, and there's, this, there's this other woman, a Moabitess, who is with her. They're learning of the story. The two children that were born, the sons are dead. They hear how difficult her life has been. And they're moved. They have compassion for her. The Bible says the city was moved when they heard Naomi was back. Again, it's just a small town, small place. The word move here, by the way, means to make an uproar, to cause excitement. My guess is, just knowing based on human nature, there was mixed reactions when she returned. Just because of how different personalities and how people can be with sinful natures. I would imagine some, uh, uh, perhaps some had scorned for her family, leaving and not staying to endure the family. Or, excuse me, and to endure the famine that took place. Not helping out. Just taking off. Especially heading to a place like Moab. But I do believe the majority had compassion on her when they heard her story. 
many glad to see their old friend, their neighbor. No doubt, I think they all remembered how beautiful she was. They probably remembered her wedding day and such promise. I mean, when you're in a small town like Bethlehem, everybody knows everybody. How excited everyone was for them. And now they see how she has returned. Her life is basically going to end up serving as an object lesson. But I want you to see her attitude. Let's read again a couple of verses. Two verses I want to read that I want to focus on here. 20 and 21. And she said unto them, Call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty hath dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord hath brought me home again empty. And why then call ye me Naomi, seeing the Lord hath testified against me? The Almighty hath afflicted me. She tells the people here, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. Naomi means fair and pleasant. Mara, as you probably know from Scripture, means bitter. Don't call me fair. Don't call me beautiful anymore. Call me bitter. The truth is, her experience is not unlike that of Job. She faced serious difficulties and trials. Not nearly as tragic that Job would face, but still very difficult. Yet her response in all honesty, is nothing like Job's. The name that she used here for God is very interesting. She refers to God's name as Almighty, Shaddai. This is actually only used in a very few places in the entire Old Testament. She is blaming God for what happened to her. Her perspective is off, and this is opening the door for bitterness to set in. I don't believe, because we know what happens in the story, that the bitterness had truly taken root yet. I believe it was at the door. Because there's going to come an opportunity here where, where hope can come in, and she grabs it. So that lets me know, even though she's saying, call me bitter, it's just at the door. It hasn't taken hold yet. Again, the word bitter that's used here is the same one used in Exodus. When the Pharaoh made the children of Israel bitter due due to the hardness of their life. Same word used. We can see by her speech and how she's saying this that bitterness certainly is present. She looks at all that occurred in her life from the time she got married and it just seems nothing has went right. And she blames God. She can no longer see beauty. Bitterness is dangerous. It is one of those things that as soon as you begin to see it, you stamp it out. You don't give it place in your life. It has the potential to completely change your personality.
As we know, the end of the story, Ruth, I'm jumping ahead of myself, but I, I just won't cover it. We know how even in all this tragedy, what God is going to do. We know the end of the story. I understand that, that Naomi doesn't know that yet. That she doesn't recognize that yet. She's not seeing that. But there are times when you're in the midst of the trials, that's where faith comes in and knowing God is good. That he can even use the trials of this wicked, sinful world we're in, that we will face hardship, we will face trials, and he has the ability, the potential in his sovereignty to still use it for something good. I do appreciate, actually, Naomi's view of God's sovereignty. I think it's strong. But at the same time now that her understanding of who God is has been affected. Those trials have changed how she views God. The blame comes in. God has dealt very bitterly with me, against me. God has testified against me. And that, by the way, was a, it's an actual Hebrew judicial term that she is using. Believing God has judged her. So often, we blame God. We live in this sin-cursed earth. So often, we blame God for our own choices that we make. We, 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 we fail to recognize that there is no promise that God has ever given that everything's going to be perfect for us. We will face trials. We will face tragedies. It will happen. It's one of the reasons why it's great to be a Christian, to know He's the one we can run to. He's the comfort when it hits. He's the grace that we need. He gives the peace that is needed. So what evidence do we see that bitterness is beginning to take hold on her, that it's at the door? There's three proofs here that I'm going to tie that in with Hebrews 10 and I'll be done. There's three things here I want you to see that show that bitterness is right there. How she viewed the past. This is important because it's true of all of us. How she viewed the past, how she viewed the present, and how she viewed the future. All right? So let's look at that angle of this. Number one, how she viewed the past. Notice what she said. That when they left Bethlehem, I went out full. See, bitterness affects how you view life. You will see it differently. You will see a very skewed view of life. You will miss beauty. You will miss truth. You will begin to see it through that eyes of bitterness, looking at what you have done in life, where you're at in life, and what's coming in the future. And, and that bitterness was beginning to affect how she viewed the past. She was overstating the blessings of the past, and that's allowing the bitterness to flourish. Do you know how often we do that? That we actually overstate the blessings of the past. They, didn't, they did not go away because they were full. She went away because she was empty. There was a famine that hit. Her husband taking her to Moab to live. While most of her, uh, the rest of the family all staying behind, they're in Bethlehem. 
They were leaving because they were empty. They were, her husband was low on faith. They were low on food, possibly, of course, low on funds. They're not leaving Bethlehem full. But how, because bitterness is starting to set in, how she views her past is overstated. There's a danger in that. Did not the children of Israel do that in the wilderness? Oh, I remember the melons and everything else. Lord, bring, bring us back. Really? Do you not remember how it actually was? Again, we too can do this and begin to despair of the current day we have. By overstating the past and comparing it to today. Do you know how great it is to be alive and be serving God right now? And do you know if the devil gets your mind of how great it was in the past, how that cripples you to be effective for God right now? When this begins to take place, listen to me, you will lose your joy and you will lose proper perspective. The only thing you see is the good old days. How it was so much better back then. Like Naomi, your view is skewed. It's amazing how we remember just the good parts, but not the hardships of the past. And listen, I have a whole other message on this. Stop focusing on the past and living in the past. We learn from the past and we live in the present. That's what we do. Now, let's look at her view of the present. She states, for the present condition, she is returning empty. But that isn't true either. She's overstating her present as far as her suffering is going. She has Ruth. And she will realize, she doesn't right now. She doesn't right now. That's because of bitterness at the door. But she will come to realize, which is one of the greatest things of the story, of what a blessing Ruth is. But she's missing it right now. She's missing it right now. I, I mean, I, I brought this up before, and it, it sort of fits. It wasn't that bitterness was coming, and it dealt more with worry and fretting. Um, I, I, after, I, after tech schools, I, I ran back and I got married. Mary and I had been engaged and I, I'm going to get married as soon as I finish all my schooling with the Air Force. So I go back and I get married. This would be one of the most exciting times I've just getting married. And, and I'm starting to overthink things a little bit financially. I'm going through this. I'm like, I've come to the conclusion that I cannot afford a wife. <laughs> and... Uh, I still can't afford a wife. That's exactly right, brother. <laughs> but nonetheless, when I'm running these numbers, I'm, I'm an E1. An E1. At times, the Air Force forgets to pay you when you're an E1. At least that's what it felt like. And so the whole time, we get my pick. The wedding's over. We stay there for about a week. And we get the, my pickup truck, and we're heading to Holloman Air Force Base. And I am just fretting. How am I going to do this? Should I get another job? Can I even do that with my job? How is this going to work? You know what should have been happening? I should have been trusting God and simply enjoying every day. 
Ruth's view of the present is wrong. She has Ruth. She has a home there and friend and family all in Bethlehem. All moved for her. Happy to see her. There's so much that she has and she's not even seeing it. She has friends. And she has a kinsman who's going to come into play. And he's a really, really good guy. So she comes into Bethlehem. She's not empty. She has some key things that's needed in life. And most of all, she has God. So often in the midst of it, we forget about all of God's blessing and provision when trials do hit and bitterness begins to creep in. We lose sight of the current blessings that are right before us and the goodness of God in our life. Again, I remember my, my uncle, a man that I have a great deal of, of, of respect for. And his sister had, had lost a child. It was very difficult. He had fallen asleep on the, on the way to work. And I still, I still remember the day that it happened. I was here in Alaska, and, and I knew Denny and played with him as a boy. And, uh, um, and his dad was the one that found him. Worker called and said, Denny didn't show up. He wasn't here. Dad knew something was wrong. He said he had a horrible feeling. Big Denny, is named after his dad, took off, following the trail from Denny's house to his work. And off, well off to the side, he saw a car upside down. He ran over there, and it was his son. When my uncle's sister, Denny's mom, my uncle was telling me this portion of it. This is several years later. This would probably be about, that was... 98, probably 13 years. I'm trying to remember it was a furlough or a deputation. I can't remember which. It could have been 13 or 17 years. And I asked. We got on the subject. And I said, I said well, how is your sister and brother-in-law doing? And he said, Denny's doing pretty good. He had said, but, but my sister isn't. And he made a very insightful statement. They have three children altogether. Two daughters and Denny. There was Dee Dee, Jackie, and Denny were the siblings. And he made this, and my uncle, he was a man of wisdom. I mean, I'd still go to it for advice to this day. He said this to him. He said, my sister forgot about the living children. She had allowed bitterness to take over and to control. Bitterness can sort of steal your vision. So that the only thing you can see is bad in your current situation. Not how God is still blessing and working in your life. Bitterness changes how you see the past. It changes how you see the present, and it also changes how you see the future. So what was Naomi's view of the future? 
far as we can tell, she doesn't see any hope in her future yet. She will. She mentions nothing of her future, yet the Bible does. She should be saying, why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. We sing that. Do you ever think about that? I mean, here's somebody saying, wait, wait, I can't let this take place. I know what's going on. This can't happen. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Hope in God. Hope is what drives us towards our future. See, the truth is, in our text, we already see God working. He's already working. The timing of their arrival in Bethlehem, pretty exciting. It's not coincidence. Not at all. They're arriving in time for a harvest. And we all know the story. I I can jump into that. It's just amazing. It's not coincidence when this takes place. I mean, they're arriving at the time of the harvest because God's sovereign hand is already at work. Ruth is going to head off into a field, and she's going to begin working. And she's going to meet the owner of this field, who happens to be a man named Boaz, who happens to be in a legal position to be able to marry Ruth. Just amazing. Little does Naomi realize what God is getting ready to do in their life. Listen, even in a present distress, trust Him. Know God is working. You allow that to serve as hope. Know what that hope does? It closes that door right on bitterness. It does. Shuts the door right on it. There's a danger if it sets in. Now again, I do not believe Naomi let it take hold yet. I don't. I think that Lord's nudging when she, when she decided to head back to Bethlehem. I mean, obviously God was in it with the sovereignty, with the timing of it. But it was so important for her life and how she still responded. Because, again, the opportunity were hit where you see her grab a hold of hope when she recognizes it. But there's danger, though, if bitterness begins to take hold. I'm going to cover some of that. I want you to know this. When it begins to creep in, one of the very first things bitterness will take from you, all right, is joy. It's gone. It's just gone. They're mutually exclusive. Joy will be gone. So that even, even when you're being obedient, even, even when you're being obedient, you're trying to serve, there's no joy. You'll be consumed with injustice and pain and hurt. The focus comes off of God. You begin to lose sight of all that you have in Christ, of God's true blessings on your life and how good He is. Because even when obedience, not with joy. 
How do we deal with it? Go back to Hebrews 12. Following peace with all men, verse 14, and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you. Now, the word lest is one that gives us hope with this, because it's saying this can be prevented. That's what it's telling you. Stop it. You can prevent this. You can do this. It's obviously best to, to take care of it before it takes hold, which is what Naomi did. You see God's grace and the Lord knowing exactly where she is at, exactly the struggle she was having, having, and yet the Lord even in that is, is, is getting ready to do something in her life. The moment that, that she sees that hope, oh, it's so good because she jumps on it. You want to deal with bitterness quickly. Listen, prevention is always easier than removal. Within verse 14, leading up to the statement in verse 15, it says this, follow peace with all Men. Do you know how often, how often we just blow through verses when we read? Without actually thinking about it. And he's giving here, this is, he's giving the preventiveness to bitterness. He's given two principles here that help us. And they cover different aspects of how it can come in. First one he deals with is follow peace with all men. Forgiveness is the key to following peace with all men. Because we're all sinful. We all have problems. We all, we're, we're, going to, we're going to offend each other. You're going to make me mad. I'm going to make you mad. You had better learn forgiveness. Without forgiveness, it's impossible for you to obey that verse to follow peace with all men. Because know what happened? The opposite takes place. If you don't choose forgiveness... You open the door for bitterness because you want to hold on to something. But they don't deserve forgiveness. Neither do you. Listen, and it's such a help. So worth it when we choose a path of forgiveness. You say, but look what they've done. I'm not going to let them off the hook. Well, they're not off the hook. Forgiveness is about letting them off the hook. It's about letting you off the hook. It's about letting you get into a place to move on. I'm in this, and this is on a very minor scale to what very serious circumstances that people are facing. But I'm in this, some of you already know, I've talked to you about it for advice. I'm in this land dispute with a neighbor I have right now. And he's already assumed it and using, doing what he wants with the property that I believe is actually mine, that I own. 
And so we're in this dispute right now. So every day when I come home, I'm reminded because I see what's taking place. And at first, I would just see that. I'm just like, man, I can't believe that. But I decided, I said, you know what? There's no way I'm giving him that power. No way. I am not going to let this bother me one bit. Lord, this is yours. Lord, if you can provide me a way to stop this, I'll do it. But if not, so be it. I am not going to let this, me come home and see this and, and change the mood that I'm in. You see, when you forgive, you really set two people free, and one of them is you. This is a good quote. I want you to listen to this. The soil of bitterness is a heart that harbors hostility and does not deal with hurt by the grace of God. Grace we do love and we need it. And the truth is, I have the same sinful nature. There are times that's hard to provide someone else because that's unmerited favor. It goes against us. Showing favor when it's not deserved. Forgiveness and grace are key to overcoming bitterness and following peace with all men. Many times you can tell if a person is struggling with bitterness because they'll struggle right in this area, critical of everything. They've stymied grace. They've stymied forgiveness in their life. So it opens the door for this to take place. And it begins to show in other areas of their life. It gives a second thing here, though. Not only follow peace with all men, but also holiness. To follow after holiness. Well, what does that have to do with bitterness? One, again, because we deal with each other. Many of the hurts we face obviously deal with relationships that we have with each other. That's where forgiveness comes in. Now he says follow after holiness. Here's what that does for you. When you are following after holiness, ironically what it does for you is this. It always reminds you of how wicked you are. Think about that. It does. It reminds you how wicked you are and how much you need God's grace. The closer you get to God, you realize, I am undone. When you just focus on others and their problems, you don't see it. You think you're a pretty good person. But when you're actually following after holiness, you realize how vile you are. And know what that enables you to do? Show grace. Remind you of your wicked heart. You see God's grace that he has bestowed upon you. You see, when bitterness sets in many times, you fail to see your own need of grace. And some of this times, this applies to our own heart. The individual that we battle with is ourself. And learning to forgive that. How to deal with that. To provide grace. There's a sin that can commonly be associated with bitterness, if you think about it. It's pride. It's pride. Now, you can have, there's a ton of people who struggle with pride that do not 
that do not struggle with bitterness. They don't always go hand in hand. That's not the point at all. But many times with bitterness, an element of pride can come in. Not for all, but for a decent percentage that it needs to be addressed. Pride comes in. and Another thing that follows pride is contention. And bitterness has a direct connection to this. It's that pride that somehow, it, it kind of sort of gives the grip of it so that you don't want to let go. To the point, you could begin to, and I mentioned this before, you can, you can begin to ironically take comfort in the bitterness. It is the following after holiness that shuts this down. It's, it's, it's falling after holiness where you're learning the discipline not to let your flesh control. Because when bitterness is there, your flesh is completely in control. Falling after holiness is you learning the discipline. Lord, please, I need you. I need your help and grace just, just to bring this flesh under submission. starts with the forgiveness and then that submission to God. Please, Lord, help me to deal with my flesh, which is now making it much easier to root out bitterness. You see, desiring holiness provides a measure of strength to help us be diligent, as it says, against bitterness. Listen to me. Don't disregard the truth of why this is put here in Hebrews chapter 12. Of in dealing with bitterness, of following peace with all men, including yourself. And following after holiness. See, what the Lord knows is, when those two environments are in place in your heart, very difficult for bitterness to survive. It gets weeded out. You can begin to enjoy life even in difficult circumstances. They have a measure of joy. Because you can now begin to see life. You can once again see the past as it is. Thankful over the good things that were there. But understanding there were also trials there. Understanding that in the difficulty situations of right now that are difficult, that God is there to be a help, yet I still have God's blessing where I can still see His hand here and here and here and here. I remember when, when Daniel lost his wife and almost Enoch. And being in the hospital... Ethan was 10 months old, 10 months old. And just and at the time, again, it really did not look good for Enoch at, at all. Um, just amazing he survived getting hit by a truck at 70-some miles an hour. Ethan was still there, that 10-month-old baby. They're both out right now. They're both just gunk. They're out. That's why I can talk about them. 
there's danger and bitterness. Because it affects, again, how you view God. That changes how you view your past, your present, and your future. It changes who you are. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Now let me ask this question. If you're here right now, this message, of course, was for Christians. But let me ask this. Maybe you're not certain that if, let's say, death was to find you today. That death finds you. Do you know where your soul is going? Do you know what's going to happen to you when you die? Because you will stand before God in judgment. That's Hebrews 9.27. God will judge you. And all of us are guilty. And the problem is because of our guilt. We are headed for a very real lake of fire. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so what He did was made a way to save you from that judgment. He did that by He Himself becoming a man, the Lord Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, who lived the perfect life for you in your place. See, I don't understand that. Listen, this is amazing. When He went to the cross, when Jesus died for you, God the Father was literally, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, placing your sin upon Him as if He was the transgressor. It was judgment day, that cross is what it was. And God placed upon him your sin, your iniquity, your transgressions, and he judged him for it. But hell did not hold him. After three days and three nights, he defeated death and rose again. And at the same time he takes your sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he gives us his righteousness. He gives you his perfect life. He died to save you from that judgment so that you could spend an eternity with him. Is there anyone here say, Pastor, please pray for me. I think I need that. I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die. Please, Pastor, pray for me. Just put your hand up where I can see it. I won't call you out. Anybody here like that at all? Just put your hand up and you can put it, put it back down. All right, just some small children is all I see. All right. Christian, if you need to come and pray here this evening, you come and pray. Father in heaven, I pray that you bless this invitation. Please work on hearts, Lord. And, and do the work that needs to be done. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 214. And if you need to come and pray this evening, you come and pray.